Welcome to Unlimited Parenting, where we discuss having children with disabilities or special health care needs. I'm your host, Allison, and with me is Melissa. Today, we're going to be talking about the 10 steps to special education. So let's get into the stuff and the things. I don't know about you, but I am so excited to take this topic from the start of the process all the way to the end because so many times we have parents or just us when we're going through it we get stuck on one piece and don't see the whole picture yeah that's it is it's easy to do and i'm excited to talk about it i'm excited to be on my first podcast so thank you for having me yes welcome i'm so excited for you to spend your first podcast with me thank you i feel very honored But yeah, you're right. This is a topic that you can kind of get lost in because it is overwhelming. So to break it down into 10 steps makes it a little bit more obtainable, I feel like. Yes, agreed. So without further ado, let's take up the the first step, which is consider the need for special education. So maybe we, we as the parents feel that our child needs to be evaluated for special education. And I feel, and maybe this is just me, but I feel like that's probably the most common way that it's done. Would you say? That's a good question. Um, Perhaps. uh, Oftentimes the need is found through through the education system and what's called child find. Um, Educators have a responsibility to identify children that are um, needing to potentially access special education. So I, I don't know the statistics on it. That's a really good question. But I do think a lot of the time, especially in our office, a lot of the time we are um, helping parents navigate. They haven't necessarily had a child find, you know, flag from their um, school, but they feel really that special education would help their, their student. Um, so then they reach out to us to kind of start the process. So I don't know, could go 50-50 maybe? I'm not sure. Yeah, I feel like when I've spoken with other parents, I'm hearing them say, you know, I think my child has a need. Mm -hmm. How do I start this process for eligibility and evaluation? And I also forget to consider that there are those educators out there that are identifying these students before the parents have had a chance. Yeah. And, um, you know, I've helped parents that just got the, you know, the child find my teach, my child's teacher says that this, and it's, it's overwhelming no matter where you start in the process, whether you initiate it or it comes from the school, it's the same process. So that's why talking about these 10 steps today, it just depends on where you start, whether it was initiated by your educator or whether you're initiating it as a parent yourself. So for the purposes of moving through the rest of these steps, mm-hmm. let's assume that we, the parent, me, I. You, yep. I have initiated this process. Okay. So I'm going to talk to who? Who am I going to broach this subject with. So when you think that special education could potentially help your student, it is a good idea to reach out. And when I say reach out, I mean reach out in writing, not in passing. If you didn't put it in writing, it didn't happen. And if there's anything that you take away from this today, let it be Angela's voice guiding you through the night. If you didn't put it in writing, it didn't happen. 
Yeah, I, it just could not be more true. We say this in our office, I don't know how many times a day, we really should have a count. Um, because especially in special education, if you do not, you as a parent, don't put it in writing, it truly didn't happen or it potentially didn't happen. It doesn't start a timeline. It doesn't start the process. That's exactly what I was going to tag on is that mm-hmm. there are fairly strict timelines that come into play when you initiate the process. And if you're doing that verbally, it becomes a he said, she said. Yep. And when does that mm-hmm. timeline start versus if you yeah. put something in an email? Yep. If it's time stamped, that's when that process started. So I don't think I really answered your question, but if you feel the need um, you, you, your, that your child would potentially need to start the evaluation for special education, that should go in writing to your child's teacher, to the school counselor, the school principal, um, even potentially the special education director or assistant director for the district. Just, and again, it, it, it somewhat depends upon where, you know, what, type of district your your child is in um but again it's always a good idea to put that in writing to your child's teacher to the counselor um and and to the principal of the school itself so we know having been through this experience been there done that um been there done that (laughs) we know that this is not just a a one-stop shop this is several This is teachers filling out information, parents reporting, Mm -hmm. observations. Do you let your child know that this process is going on, assuming that they are able to understand the process? Do you let them know? That's a good question. I I think it's a case by case basis. You know your kid. You're your you're your parent. You're your kid's you know professional, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we say that a lot as well. We need a button for that. Yeah, we, do. we are our kids' professional, and we know if you have a child that has test taking anxiety, and you are going to you know, be throwing them into some evaluations, it might be a really good idea to just outline that and say, you know what, your counselor is going to be asking you some questions. Your teacher might be observing you doing some math or just whatever those evaluations look like giving them that heads up. Yeah, it probably would be a good idea if your kid has that anxiety. Now, my kiddo, he could care less. The more and the ma- the more people in the room, the merrier. Um, and he just, it, it's, it's a party. So it wouldn't have been applicable for him. Right, every day is a holiday. Every day is a party. Whereas my child mm-hmm. sees another person in the room and immediately, yeah, panics because it's out so of much. character. It's right. out of it's not this normal structure. So right, yeah. So he would be a good candidate. Absolutely. But there's no, there's no rule that no. says you know we don't tell so that no. it doesn't hinder the observation no. or slew any kind of results. No, no, okay. no right or wrong answer. You know your kid. You know your kid. Okay, so. We're in the process of this evaluation. Okay. The evaluations have been done. Okay. Now, aside from starting the process and aside from perhaps filling out a parental report form, mm-hmm. this is where the parent really starts to get involved. Oh, yeah. Would you absolutely. agree? When you're, yep. So now at this point, I have been contacted. Mm-hmm by the principal or the special education teacher to come to an evaluation meeting. Uh, Yep. Yeah. So eligibility meeting. Yeah. So assuming they said, yeah, we think that you're right. And we're going to start the evaluation process. You're going to sign that consent. And then they start that evaluation. Then once that is wrapped up, yes, that's, that's where you would do. So thank you for mentioning that. Mm -hmm. So let's back this up for a second. 
I have requested an evaluation. Yep. And now I've been told no. I'm going to receive something in writing. Absolutely. Correct? That details why. Correct. Yeah. And you'll actually either. So you put that request for an evaluation in writing and you, you, re, you receive one of two things. One in writing saying, you know what? I don't think at this point we are going to proceed with evaluations and this is why. So that is that prior written notice that you are, they, that the school is required to provide to you. Or they're going to come back and they're going to say, yeah, you know what? I think you're probably right. Can you sign consent? And we're going to start those evaluations. So, And if they say no, and mm -hmm. I disagree, I do still have a few options after that. You do. Okay, yeah. perfect. You and do. That's when I would call IPOL. You say, would call IPOL, yeah. Hey, <laughs> okay, yeah. perfect. Or your parent center, you know, if you're not in Idaho, um, you know, every state has a... It has an IPOL. Has, it's not called an IPOL, obviously. But every state has a parent training um, center that can help you through the process. And if if given the opportunity, I'm sure we could all rattle off maybe three, four, five right off the top of our oh, heads. Oh, yeah, absolutely. States. Yeah. <laughs> so even if you're not in Idaho and you want to give us a call yep. to say, hey, which one's mine? We can help. Yep, we can. So but for the purpose of this, mm -hmm. they have agreed to the evaluation. Yep. And now we're here. We're, we're at here. the eligibility mm -hmm. meeting. Here we are. Yep. Again, very Idaho specific here. We're going to answer three questions. Yeah, absolutely. One, does my student have a disability according to the 14 categories mm -hmm. as outlined in Idaho? Two, does that disability affect them adversely, functionally, developmentally, uh -huh. academically? Yep. Not just academically, though. Correct. There are two other ones, right? Yep. And then the third, and arguably the most mm -hmm. yeah. important, is does the student require specially designed instruction? Yes. And that's the one that I feel parents, <laughs> That's it. you know, because I have, I have personally helped parents who say, you know, my, you know, names and likenesses are not, <laughs> <laughs> these are all fictional characters. Um, I have helped a parent who said, you know, my child is autistic. He's been diagnosed with autism. Mm -hmm. His uh, doctor has said he needs an IEP. Yeah. And I go in and I tell my school, uh, this professional, yep. you know, who are you to say to this professional, yeah. right? And that's when I say, well, let me introduce you to these three prongs because the doctor is evaluating in a community setting mm -hmm. and these teachers are evaluating in an yeah. academic uh -huh. setting, right? Absolutely. I mean, I I have seen or heard, I guess, I, I haven't seen it in person, but I haven't visually. <laughs> so let me back up. But I have known um, doctors to actually write on a prescription pad and hand it to a family and say, you need an IEP, take this to your school. And, you know, if we were in, you know, if we flipped that around, we would not expect a gen ed teacher or even a special education teacher to write a prescription for risperidone to control our child's behaviors. It's right. so we have to respect the professions and you're right. It does have, they, they evaluate in a educational setting or an academic setting versus a community setting. So, so let's say you're a parent and you, again, surprise, let's pretend you're a parent. I'm a parent. And you, this is your very first time okay. in this process, right? This is the first time doing these yeah. steps. Agree or disagree, the eligibility portion is the most emotional of all 10 steps. Hands down agree. 
it this is, is going to be, this is the one where you pack the tissues and you yeah. bring the chocolate and you don't go mm-hmm. to work afterwards. Correct. Correct. It's hard. It's hard to hear. So those evaluations are very real. And that is very real on your, your, your child's scores, where they are, where their, you know, functional levels are. And we know that as parents, it's hard to see it on paper and have a team sitting across from you just telling deficit upon deficit. And not every student is going to have such extreme deficits as my student, but it still is a very emotional experience. Every time we do an eligibility, and we do those every three years now, it's hard. And it, it's it's hard hearing that from so many people. Yeah. Because it's not just you and the special education teacher and the general education teacher and someone who is on there on behalf of the district. Mm-hmm. You got an occupational therapist, a physical therapist, perhaps a speech language pathologist. You have yeah, potentially a lot of yeah. other people in that room with you and there are, and you're going to hear scores. Yep. You can't see the tests. Right. Correct. But you can, you're going to hear scores mm-hmm. and I feel free to ask questions. Yeah. Yeah. Ask questions. Um, if you don't know what something means, they are the professionals that are there to really interpret those results for you. That's why you won't see the scores because you're not trained in the diagnostic tools. They are. So they can interpret those results to a parent-friendly language for you. Right. Yeah. Someone should be there to help you with parent-friendly language. Absolutely. And again, we can take this moment to say you can always bring someone with yeah. you. Yep. Maybe if your spouse can't come, mm-hmm. you have someone who can come and take notes for you because you might hear something in the moment and then you hear so much in the moment you that do. it just disappears later. You do. Yeah. I agree. That's it. That's just the biggest tip hands down is really have a support person for you there as well to Mm -hmm. take those notes, to potentially ask some extra questions, maybe hand you a tissue or a chocolate, (laughs) Um, but whatever role that they could serve to help you be the best partner on, on the team is, is it's important. So let's say that the school has found that your child does not meet all three prongs. They are not eligible for special education. And while this is a topic for a different day, we yeah. could briefly address there are still options. There are. Yeah, there's still options. And if your child doesn't meet all three prongs, there are other accommodations available to them through perhaps a 504 plan. Um, absolutely, there's other avenues that can go from from not meeting you know, the initial eligibility for specialized instruction. Um other students can be really, really well supported through a th- like a 504 plan right. and those accommodations. So it's okay. not the end all be all. They're not just going back to their classrooms. They're not. And no. Told to just figure out a way to make it work. I, I would hope not. And if yeah. they are, that is again when you call your parent training and information center because we exactly. can help you out. Yeah. But for the purposes of continuing on through the steps, we're going to assume that our child has been found eligible, and then we're going to go to. Step number four, the student is eligible. So let's take a little moment to discuss timelines. Yeah. Okay. Because I realize this hasn't come up yet. Yes. From the moment I sign consent to be tested, Mm -hmm. there are a total of 60 days. 60 days from consent to implementation should be 60 
days. So within 60 school School days, days, not calendar days. days. So 60 school days, the school has the responsibility Mm -hmm. and I have the right to have my student tested. So evaluated, Mm -hmm. hear those eligibility results and then have them implemented into an IEP. Correct. So in let's 60 say- school days. And that is really a kicker for a lot of families because sometimes they will request an evaluation, you know, in, in November. And then by the time we get to, you know, we've done some evaluations and then it's December and we're on vacation. Those right. do not count. So families just need to know those timelines are a little bit different. And the 60 days from consent to implementation is 60 school days, whereas other timelines within the whole special education process are not school days. They could be calendar days. So it's really, really confusing. Sorry. <laughs> no. And again, that could be a point where you could call your, yes, your, your iPod, you call, call your iPod, call mm-hmm. your iPod and ask them these questions. Yep. So moving on to step five before the IEP meeting. So you are going to get notified and that will be again in writing, correct? Correct. Because if you didn't put it in writing, it didn't happen. Everything needs to be in writing. Yes. And the district is required by IDEA, which is the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, to notify parents of the meeting in advance, in writing. So you will get an invitation. So what are you doing before this IEP meeting? Personally, I have an IEP binder. Mm-hmm where I keep um, communications with teachers. I have logs. I have past IEPs. I have meeting notes. Yeah. Are you... Do I'm you doing have, that. You have something like that too? Yeah, I do. I don't okay. think mine's quite as organized. It's just a file and everything's kind of shoved into it. Um, but I have it in there. I know it's in there. It just looks a little messy. But yeah, so I want to make sure that I have all of those, all of that. All of his previous, you know, and and we are assuming that this is our first time in this process. So um, I'm going to have any data that I can provide to the team. This is outside any mm -hmm. evaluations or anything, things that in past therapies that have worked. Absolutely. That you have documentation of. Mm -hmm. And because my child is nonverbal, I create for him... I call it his resume, but it's also referred to as a one pager, but it's truly um, just a document to show about him, what he likes, what he doesn't like, what works for him, what are some of his, you know, um, what are some of his goals? What are some of our goals for him? But that's just really to have the team get to know them because it sometimes is appropriate to have your child with you, your student with you at the IEP meeting. Sometimes it's not. And in my kiddo's case, he doesn't have that attention span and he wants nothing to do with it. So I bring a one pager, I bring his resume, whatever you want to call it, to really make the meeting about him. So that's how I'm preparing. I'm have, I have my, my folder. You have your binder. I'm disorganized. You're not. Um, and I take that. <laughs> I try, but. No, you do. You do A plus. Work. Okay. A plus work. <laughs> But this could also be an opportunity to where you are contacting someone who can come with you, yeah. take notes for you. Yep. Yeah. If my husband can't be there, I'm, I'm going to bring either a friend. I'm going to bring my mom. I'm going to bring someone most likely that knows my son. Um, 
because sometimes they're going to like a flag is going to go off when, you know, when these, the team, the IEP team maybe says something and, you know, I I have my mom with me and she goes, that's not going to work for him. You know, so having just that extra set of ears um, and then hands to take those notes is, is invaluable. Okay. So number six. We're at six. All right. We're at at the meeting. We're at the meeting. Yeah, we are. I know. It can seem really intimidating, especially if you've never, you're new to this process. This is not something. Um, And can I just say that uh, sometimes that eligibility meeting that we talked about earlier and the IEP meeting are all kind of pushed into one. That happens. That does happen. Listeners, this is genuinely the first time I've heard of that. And I can't imagine anything more frightening. So I will tell you, um, when my son qualified for developmental preschool, our eligibility and our IEP meeting were all in one. And I was a deer in the headlights. I was an emotional wreck. I don't think it's best practice. And it only, I believe it only happened based on his birth date and when everything kind of fell, we were trying to get him in, but it can happen. It doesn't usually, but it can, and it is yucky. And these meetings aren't 30 minutes. They're not the length of a podcast. My son's, my oldest son's eligibility meeting was two hours. Yeah. And his IEP meetings, how long are are your son's IEP meetings generally? I think generally now, I mean, he's in seventh grade now. I'm getting really good at it, and so... If I have a draft copy before, which you should get a draft copy and before. And you can request that you can request or you, you should just get it naturally. My district gives it to me naturally and I know I'm incredibly lucky because I talk to parents throughout the state that that is not something that is a best practice for their district. Uh, so it's absolutely something as a parent you can request prior to the okay, meeting. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. I like to have that draft so that I can look over it. I can maybe wrap my head around some things. I could potentially make some changes to some goals that I don't see necessarily being appropriate, whatever. I just like to have my eyes on it prior to, and then his meetings last about an hour. But when you're there, you are a valued team member. If this is done the way it's supposed to be Mm -hmm. done, right? Knock on wood, best practices, if we're doing this correctly, and if not, again, please call us. If we're doing this correctly, we are at one-fourth of the team. Yeah. Now, for bonus points, can you name the other three required IEP team members? I can. Do you want me to do it? I, yeah. Okay. So you have to have a parent, a parent representative, or a guardian. Um, then we need a general education teacher, a special education teacher, and then the district representative. I did it. Wonderful. You're a pro. And in in my son's case and many other students as well, you're going to have those related services providers also there if that's something that they get. And related services being an occupational therapist, a speech therapist. So can I ask a question? That's what I'm here for. (laughs) I've been told. Thank you. Okay. Let's say we're talking about a student who, and again, Oh, we apologize in advance if we're using alphabet soup. Yeah, I don't want to. I'm sorry. I'm trying to. So let's say our student's LRE, least restrictive environment, mm-hmm. has been determined to be the special education classroom. Okay. So they're spending 100% of their day inside of that special education classroom. In the IEP meeting, mm-hmm. and I know, technically, uh, I'm, I'm like, uh, no, 100 not 100. Yeah. <laughs> but 
let's say our child never sees the general education teacher. Does that general education teacher still come to the IEP meeting? Yes. Because of... Because all of the goals in a school-aged IEP are tied to academic content standards. And that's why the general education teacher is a, is a valued member of the team. Because we want academic ties, right, to our goals, regardless of what they are. So I heard you kind of panic mildly when I said 100% of the yeah, time in the special <laughs> education classroom. Can you explain why you're not spending 100% of the time in the special education classroom? Children should be, students should be receiving their education to the greatest extent possible with their typical peers. That being said, sometimes that's not their least restrictive environment. Um, And in my son's case, he spends about 80% of his time within a special education classroom. He is then that the other 20, he is doing PE with his general education peers. He's doing those specials with general education peers, whether that's library or um, music or, you know, he's still with his general education peers to the the maximum extent possible. Um, he's because in, that is his least restrictive That's his least restrictive environment. environment. Exactly. And I mean, just my two cents on it is general education students can learn just as much from him as he can learn from them. Right. That's my take on it. So. Yes. I you don't. scratch your back. You scratch my uh-huh. back. They're learning together. Yeah. While I don't think my son <laughs> would really do well sitting in, um, you know, a, an algebra three class right now. He, he just wouldn't. He'd be too happy. Yeah. To I mean, my 15 year old is in one of those classes and he doesn't even want to be in there. So uh, my special education, yeah, right. <laughs> um, my special, it's not an appropriate placement for him. So, so again, this is a topic for another podcast yeah, it, and yeah. trust me, this will be a topic of another podcast, okay. but let's very briefly, we're in the meeting. The first thing mm-hmm. we're going to see is several sheets of paper. Yep. And on the top is going to be all of our students' demographics mm-hmm. and then the four people that are there. Yep. The minimum four people that are mm-hmm. there. And we're signing. Now, briefly, when we're signing, this is the very first IEP meeting. Yep. We're signing and that means... That consent. you are consent. Yep. You are consenting to those IEP services, to that IEP being implemented. Every meeting after that, we're signing for attendance. Correct. So. That's a big misconception. Now, having said that, I'm signing for consent. What if I'm so overwhelmed? I don't notice something. I find it later in the IEP. Oh, gosh, this isn't going to work out. How do I report this discrepancy. I would like to file a dispute in the IEP. What am I going to do? So after your initial IEP meeting, you have the meeting, you go home, then you receive a copy. Once you've received a copy of that IEP, you have 10 days to kind of dispute, to kind of say, oh, hold on, let's, I'd like to make a change here that it requires you to put it in writing. We always, right? Okay. If you didn't put it in writing, it didn't happen. Let Angela guide you. Yes. Your you know, needs. let's put that in writing, make that, you know, um, send that off to your child's teacher um, or case manager. Oftentimes when we have an IEP, our students then are assigned a case manager through the district. So whatever that contact person is appropriate. It happens sometimes in bigger districts. Um, I'm in a big district and my son doesn't have one. His 
teacher you just you couldn't see me but i gave melissa yeah she did side eye <laughs> she i'm gave... like they do what <laughs> what sorry i reacted to her side eye without without thinking um oh, and i lost my track no so again we digress remember we the, did the point the point of this is to get into the weeds with some questions that you might have which is why this will be a series of Several, several, yep. several podcasts. Oh, I know what I was saying. If you are disputing something once you received that IEP, you have that 10 days, put it in writing, and then you can kind of go from there. So let's let's, let's bring it back okay. to let's, we've signed our consent. Mm-hmm. Then we're going to see, again, with the alphabet soup, we're going to see plops and plaps, yeah. the present levels of performance. Yep. And this is where we really want to see some strength-based yes. goals. Yes. Our goals, our, our students' goals in an IEP should never be deficit-based. It should never say, Johnny can't count to 10, so his goal is to make him. You know, we don't want that to, and that was a bad example, but, yeah. <laughs> right, that was, I'll come up with a better one next time. But we never want that to be deficit-based. We want it to be very strength-based so that we are building on that, and that's a capacity statement. Um, and I think we have a webinar next month about this exact topic. Oh, my gosh. Yes, we do. Maybe we do. End of February. Watch out, world. Mm-hmm. We're coming to talk about strength-based IEP statements. The two of us. Uh-oh, watch out. Yep. So can you just really briefly walk through what the rest of the IEP might look like? Yeah. So on the IEP, hopefully you will have been asked for parental input. Parental input is just as important as your educator's input. And you're not, you're not being asked that parental input in the uh, pickup line yeah, of school, right? And, and Allison is saying that because that has truly happened to me. I was in a carpool lane. I was asked, hey, do you, what do you think about his upcoming IEP? I said, well, I think things are going real, really well. Not understanding that I was being asked to provide parental input on his goals. Um, so now that doesn't happen. <laughs> and I provide very... I, I think I provide very good input on his goals now, but parental input is a required a requirement on all of the goals. So you'll have the goals that'll have a present level of performance. Um, it'll be tied to those academic standards. Uh, and then once we get through, cause we're still talking about it, the IEP and what that looks like. So now once we get past the goals, then oftentimes you will see a, a chart of related services. And in that chart, it will be broken down by either minutes or um, days. Usually it's broken down by minutes. So you're talking like occupational Correct. therapy. How many yes. minutes my student is going to receive of that per month? Per month or per week. Yeah, whatever that looks like for your district. Yeah, occupational therapy, speech therapy, um, physical therapy. Um, behavioral. Some behavioral. Mm-hmm, exactly. And, and. Um, personal care is also on there and it, and then it's going to be broken down by who is providing that and where that's being provided. So is it in the special education setting classroom? Is it in the general education classroom? Is it a mix? Um, and this is what makes it individualized because it's going to be in that student's least restrictive environment always. Yes, always. So for example, and again, I'm using my son as an example because that's what I draw on, but his occupational therapy always happened either on the playground or with general education students because that is how he learned and that was his least restrictive environment. We We need to promote this, right? So that, yeah, 
it'll have the setting, who's responsible, where it's occurring, and then what that minutes, what that breakdown kind of looks like. But yeah, you're right. That's how it's individualized. So the IEP is now over. Mm-hmm. We've left. We have 10, after we see, received that draft, we have 10 days. Yep. If, if we need to change anything or make any additional comments. But after that meeting, that's when the services start. Yes. So mm-hmm. are we talking like next day? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Our services are starting. Everyone should know their specific responsibilities, sorry, for carrying out the services. Yes. And where they belong in the IEP. Yep. So I, I then, would hope. Yeah. Right. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> then we're going to move to step number eight. Okay. You've almost made it to the end. We almost did. Uh, progress and reporting. So correct me if I'm wrong, which I never am, but please feel free to correct me if it occurs. You should be receiving reports at least concurrent with report cards. You are correct. However, they can occur more often if it's Mm -hmm. in the IEP. Yeah, you're correct. What is that looking like? Yeah, yeah, that's right. So report cards or progress reports should come out at the same time that your general education peers are getting their report cards. So whether you are on a quarter system, a trimester system, that's when the progress reporting should happen too. Now, if it is in a child's IEP and it's an individualized uh, um, approach and we have agreed upon that we will have more um, frequent evaluations or progress reports to the parents, maybe that's behavior log, that's some um, community... It would just be whatever you have established and is written in your IEP. Um, Most likely, reporting happens on that quarter or trimester basis, the full-blown reporting. And what that means is that each goal has has a measurable and a measurable progress. So um, in two out of five attempts, you know, um, student was successful in sorting shapes or, you know, whatever that metric might be, that every single goal will have a reporting where, whereas maybe if you are just receiving a behavior log or something mm-hmm. a little bit more frequently, that's tracking behaviors and interventions that, that are working or not working or is that, does that answer? Does yes. that make sense? No, okay. that makes a lot of sense. So okay. at least concurrent with report mm-hmm. cards, unless it's more often mm-hmm. in your IEP. And it could be if you have, you might just get more often reports on your child's behavioral intervention plan. Yeah. A portion of the IEP, yep. not the full blown thing. Exactly. So yep. step nine. Nine, we're so close. IEP review. The student's IEP needs to be reviewed by the IEP team at least once a year or more. Or more, yep. If by request, parent or school, anyone Correct. can request an IEP meeting. And let me just say, if you are a parent and you're making that request, I hope that we have learned that to put that request. If you didn't put it in writing, it didn't happen. Yes, it needs to go in writing. We're not verbally shouting it out. No, we are not. The teacher in the pickup line. No. We need to talk. No, it needs to go in writing. Yeah. Okay, so we're invited. And another key thing is to participate. It's going to feel, I mean, maybe this is just a personal experience, but a big portion of the IEP meeting feels like me being talked at. Oh, yeah. And I forget to interject. (laughs) Yeah, I think that that happens probably to a lot of parents. You kind of get that shell shocked. I know, you know, after having done this for a little bit, I now feel a little bit more comfortable in my skin. I know that I am my son's 
fiercest advocate. I am his professional. I know what he needs. I know my husband knows what he needs. And I know that the professionals sitting across the table across from me also know what he needs, but maybe not exactly. Maybe they're, we're new to this, you know, the school, or maybe we have a new teacher or a new service provider. Um, so it's hard to interject sometime knowing that they are professionals, but I guess that's the key takeaway for me is you are your child's professional as well. So don't ever feel like you can't speak up. Yes. Don't feel scared. Yep. Report what's been happening at home. What works well, what doesn't work well. So that yeah. we can get that generalization across multiple, multiple locations. Right. And that just creates a partnership. You know, right. that's what we want. Um, it's a team and we want it to really, truly be a team. I, it works if you work it. It has to mm-hmm. be a team or else it's just not going to be successful. Exactly. And you have to be an equal member. Yeah. Um. So that brings can us make it? to step 10. Yep. Re-evaluation. So the student must be reevaluated at least every three years. And when we say reevaluated, we mean the whole kit and caboodle, right? Yeah, we still need, we need to make sure that that student is meeting those three prongs still. So, so not yeah. only the testing again, but they're going to go back to make sure that it is still mm-hmm. having an adverse effect developmentally, yeah. functionally, academically, yeah, and that they still have a disability, mm-hmm. which may seem to some students... Well, yeah, obviously, of course, they still have their disability. Right. But allow me to speak from experience. Yeah. That sometimes you may qualify for an IEP, and then all of a sudden your student no longer qualifies for an IEP. Do they still have the disability? Sure, that box sure. is still easy to check. Mm-hmm. But not all, and that's the that's the point of the reevaluation. That is, is that. A, yep. Then later on down the road, it might not be their same least restrictive environment, and they need to be back. Uh huh. Exactly. So that's the whole point of this. Yes. Do Every three still- years, reevaluate. Um, if if you maybe a new maybe we have a new diagnosis that's been added to our yes uh, all of the letters, you know, um, then we can ask for a new evaluation or an updated evaluation. We don't want those to happen more than once a year. So if your student just went through an evaluation, say in February, you're not going to want to ask for a new one in in July. Right. But if you have a new diagnosis, which now has brought on some potentially new things that we now need to support the student on, you can absolutely ask for a new eligibility conversation in writing. In, in writing. I say conversation, course. but it but needs please, to be in writing. But please make sure. Yeah. If you didn't put it in writing, it didn't, didn't happen. happen. It did not it happen. Did not. It did not occur. Nobody heard you. Yes. Let your fingers be your guide. Put that in writing. <laughs> so we've been through all 10 steps. Yeah, we made it. Thank you for hanging in there and listening. As a bonus, our steps go to 11. And I would like to ask you, is there anything here that you would like to add? Anything that we didn't cover? Any tips, tricks? Wow. I know. Sorry, I mean, I you could, right you put me on the spot and I could... I'm sure I could go forever and ever and ever. Um, This is you right now. (laughs) Kind of. I feel like I've said so much. Um, You know, you are your child's professional. Provide a one-pager or a resume. Take someone with you. These are just tips from a parent that has done this for... 150 times. I mean, 10 years now. I I guess I just did that. Um, 
And I've always been really lucky. I have had, you know, to, I've had to go back to the team and back. We've had to go back to the drawing board before. Um, but I've always felt really, really well supported. So I'll say that. Um, no, I, I, no, I don't think I would add anything. I guess I added stuff without saying that I was adding stuff. So. I don't think I would add anything except for these, these things. I'm sorry. Write them down. And speaking of writing down, if I were to add one final tip, trick, remember. If you didn't put it in writing, it didn't happen. That's it. That's all she wrote, ladies and gentlemen. That is what, that is what I would add. If you didn't put it in writing, it didn't happen. I would agree. Thank you so much, everyone out there for listening in. If you are in Idaho or are planning to move to Idaho and have any questions on systems or services for children with disabilities, please reach out to us on our website at ipolidaho.org. That's I-P-U-L-Idaho.org. Be sure to come back next time because we will be discussing Idaho Parents Unlimited Parent Leadership Institute happening April of this year. Until then, I'm Allison. And I'm Melissa. And this has been Unlimited Parenting.